0: happen to your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking Your World of Creativity, with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And today's topic is a world of sustainability as we try to build more environmentally friendly, a more sustainable world. And we're going to talk about how to do that through design, engineering, even brand building. And my guest is Kristen Ludgard. he's Senior Vice President of Design at Flock Furniture in Norway. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. It was great to meet you during Oslo Innovation Week. And you were a primary speaker on the platform of this idea of how we apply creativity to building a more sustainable world. Maybe you could bring us, first of all, up to date on the definition. What do we think about when we say sustainable design? So I suppose where I'd start is by
1: pointing out that to us and should be to most design is means to an end. We don't just design for the sake of design. We do it to do things, preferably improve things. And then sustainable design should, of course, then do improvements to the sustainability and in industry. Of course, it's to the sustainability of industry. How can we continue to manufacture goods so that we can continue to do so also in future generations?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then in many categories, and certainly in the furniture category, what's often boasted and raised is to produce iconic eternal objects, objects that people will keep and hold on to for their lifetime. And even maybe the kids would inherit it, which is all good and well. When you think about that. When would the improvement arise if I were to buy an iconic recliner for my home that would never change? That improvement would actually take place at that moment in time, 15, 20 years from now when I would have otherwise replaced it. That longevity, that iconic status, it's not enough in its own right. We have to also address the footprint where that occurs when producing the item. So we need to do both. We need to design things that have as little environmental footprint in production as possible. That has the longest lifetime, service life as possible. That ages with dignity is built to be repaired, maintained, and loved for a long time. And then, when the journey is ultimately over, not more to be had, it must be possible to recapture all the resources that went into it and bring those resources back into the cycle. Yes, that's what we need to do. And I
0: think most people think about the early part, like you said, the manufacturing, are we yeah. using recycled materials? Are we using low footprint manufacturing, either techniques or materials and even just the manufacturing process itself? And how much are we emitting into the air, into the water and so forth? Does your design thinking even start there and yes, to the process?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we maintain a set of uh, circular design principles in VLOCH. In- so a set of five principles, bearings that we, that we adhere to and that we try to improve on, that will then make sure that uh, we improve on three three metrics. So this is a, what we call the 5-3 principle. And it's, it's down to hard maths. If you're manufacturing operations like ours, you'll find that 80-90% of the footprint of the company comes from the products. And doing furniture, which doesn't emit anything in the use phase, 95% of that again is down to the material consumption. Uh, a lot of it will revolve around using as little as possible of as good materials as you possibly can, in meaning durable, long-lasting, but also low carbon footprint materials.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if we do that, low weight, few components, choice of materials, long lifespan, and ultimately design for disassembly, if we pursue all of those five points, we know that we do the best for the climate, for reducing climate emissions. We do the best to reduce resource consumption and we also make sure we omit any use of toxic substances.
0: Ah, very good. So this
1: way the battle stands in the concept development, doesn't it? The minute you've designed the product, you've built the architecture of the product, you've made all decisions about materials and the assembly processes and even much of the logistics. And it, you know, it it's too late to start talking about or addressing the sustainability of it or the carbon
0: footprint. Oh, that that's an important point uh, that you're making because you you're saying when I think about the various elements, the basic elements of furniture. There's the wood and there's the coverings, yeah. and there's the metal and mm. there's the fasteners and so forth. and you're right, so at the very outset, you've set the direction, haven't you? exactly.
1: so if we find that we do
0: we've got a quite
1: an active acquisition strategy in the company as well, so we have actually a fair bit of experience in taking on acquiring other people's legacy and to improve on the legacy is uh, is a fascinating how challenging that is on these these metrics if you want if you have a certain knowledge about an, a kind of material that you need to do, you need to use. And these days talking about climate change, the, the materials you need to use are those that have been used already, aren't mm. they? It? It? Yes, it? are good. So you've got to, you've got to you know, increase the use of post-consumer recycled materials, and you, you can't just retrofit that. You have to design for it. You have to engineer for it because
0: your engineering outcome will be a different one. Mm-hmm. Continue this thought on the uh, circular economy and the circular design process. You've tried to reduce as much as you can at the manufacturing, Mm -hmm. but I loved what you said that, okay, 15 years from now, do I need to get a new chair, a sofa, Mm. a desk, or can I extend the life of this one? And I thought uh, one of the points that you made uh, at the summit, and it was also brought up on things like electronics, was the repairability. Can I continue the life of this? Uh, yes. And I guess maybe in your case, is this patches? Is this replacing a caster? Is this, uh, fixing a drawer? What have you? Hmm. Yeah. So I think this is an, a very
1: pressing topic in this, in this arena of sustainable design too, that you need to be able to maintain things. You need to be able to repair things. And I also think that these days that there's a general tendency that consumers want to relate to how they're consumables or how their products are actually made. You you want to understand how things are assembled. So for a piece of furniture in 10 days, 10 years ago, you typically want to have all your joints, all your assembly mechanisms invisible. Magic, magic assembly. These days, we're trying to pivot completely and say, let's celebrate how this product was uh, assembled. Let's celebrate what kind of materials it was made from. Let's make it clearly visible how this was put together, meaning also clearly visible how you can use it uh, taken apart to fix it. Instead of trying to hiding the fasteners, we try to place them beautifully. Instead of giving them special screw heads, we give them standard screw heads where that you could operate with tools you have in your kitchen drawer so that you know how to dismantle it, you know how to take the seat off, if you need, you need to replace the cushion. It's transparent, intuitive architecture of a chair or another object. I think it's aesthetically appealing
0: and it makes just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, very good. And all of this that you're doing, it sounds uh, very engineering, of course, it's very design thinking, but you're also in charge at the company of the brand building, the, the overall design, even the redesign of the brand a few years back, yes. how does this fit in the sustainability thinking? How do you build that into the brand, you know, the company culture? Yeah. You need to realize that these days, a good piece of
1: marketing is a very transparent piece of glass, if you like, through which you look at an attribute of your product or your service. That might be an elaborate frame around that glass, but it needs to be highly polished and super transparent. The minute there's a slight tint, of pink or yellow, you get suspicious, don't you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I think to that extent that you can create communication, a brand platform which is uh, transparent that offers that kind of insight into your ethos, what you're trying to pursue, your purpose, your design intentions, then you're doing good, good marketing. When we did that name change a few years ago, uh, we had a need to come up with a name that could embrace this to embrace the human centeredness of of what we're trying to to accomplish. We wanted to provide a nod to the Scandinavian legacy of the company without limiting it geographically. Yeah, we came up with Shaw, which I think embraces that quite, quite well. Also the company culture is embraced in that, in that, in that name. And for that sake, we do contract furniture, so for employers to furnish their offices and What they want to do is, of course, to to create their flux, and using interior and furnishing as a part to create that culture is, is a very valid and powerful me.
0: And one of the topics at the conference, of course, was this idea of greenwashing. And you're addressing this with this transparency, but thinking about, hey, it's easy to tell a story of environmental care and so forth, but it's another to tell the truth and be transparent and say, uh, what's out there. Are you guys able to show these kind of metrics and measures in a sustainability report, if I call it that?
1: Mm, yeah. It really so says
0: we... we're, we're changing the way we work.
1: So, uh, you know, we try to be very transparent in this and we have been struck quite a while. I believe we were the first furniture manufacturer globally to implement environmental product declarations back in 2004. So shout out to those who know of uh, someone earlier, but I I think we were (laughs) first uh, on that. And what that does is, of course, to crack uh, down to the last component, the last piece of material and process that goes into producing products so that you can see what kind of contributors come, how it adds up to key metrics like carbon footprint, percentage of recycled uh, material, energy consumption, water consumption these aspects of a product so that you can relate to that when you acquire one that you know that when I acquired this chair it will bring about this climate change it will bring about this energy consumption this water consumption and so on and you can look into the details of how that figure aggregates so I think still 19 years ago and the standard has evolved the practice has spread so there's a lot of us now colleagues out there in, in industry that use this way of declaring environmental performance it's still The golden standard, I would say, of transparency and sustainable performance of
0: products. And thinking about your own creative background and how your philosophy was built, how did you come to embrace this and apply your creativity in this direction?
1: If if I may tell you a little story about my mom. My mom, she's a mature woman. She just turned 90, meaning she was born in 1933. She was seven years when the war broke out. My grandfather was taken captive by the Nazi occupiers in, in Norway. And when he came back, he survived. But when he came back from captivity, he weighed in at 42 kilos. Wow. So half, uh, he was my stature. I'm uh, roughly 80. <laughs> he lost half his weight during captivity. And of course, for a girl aged 10, when he came back, that placed a strong imprint on her character and her ideals and aspirations. So that pulled her off in a direction academically and through her career. She co-founded with Friends Peace Research Institute in Oslo, where she also met my father later, and that's their upbringing their aspiration. And then they had their careers in academia, in politics, international affairs. So I grew up with that kind of bigger picture, but also with an immense joy through other members of my family. In, in building things, in creating things. And if you combine the two, <laughs> combine the bigger picture with the joy of making things, the destination is called industry, mm. right? Because in this, the beauty about industry is that it scales. So if you want to do good and if you want to scale that effort, there's no better place to, to be than industry. So that spurred me into engineering and then design, wanting to work with finished goods, products, the way we relate to them. And that's how I landed here. And then you add kids uh, and you start to, uh, thinking about their future. And then it's very easy to mobilize a lot of energy and motivation to prove, to demonstrate that you can change, we can change this. We can really change the way objects are manufactured industrially. We could take linear things and bend them to something very close to circular, probably completely to circular someday very soon. Well,
0: yeah, thanks for sharing that those that personal knows. stories. And it, it seems like, and it, this might be a uh, US centered point of view but there there really does seem to be a love of design in scandinavia norway in particular a love of design but also a love of the environment very mm. outdoors a very we live on land and sea we're yeah. very positioned in our, our geographic world to really appreciate these things and I, I i wondered if you felt like you were a product of this environment even
1: Oh we all are aren't we a part of the environment that we're we're surrounded with but yeah it's it's a small uh, by population it's a small country small nation so it's it's pretty dense around the capital oslo and some very few other cities but then it's we're few and far between so meaning that historically and culturally we've had to deal with with climate with nature and it, it's far north so it changes there's a warm night in the summers but there's dark cold cold winters too And you had to make the most of things and also make it pretty much on your own. I think this has, so in terms of how that influences design tradition, it brings us to an essential style we create, we tend to create or favor essential objects, essential designs, because there there wasn't that much surplus. There wasn't that, that much room for ornaments or excessive material consumption or resource consumption at all. You have to make. Robust, durable, functional, essential product It's not unique to Scandinavian design, but I think us made it uh, stronger maybe than, than in many other places. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, looking towards the future, your company continues to grow. You were sharing with me that you have manufacturing and offices literally all over the world from Poland to even LA in, the, in California. What do you see as future initiatives? How do you keep getting better? It's like, yeah, uh, we, we've achieved what we've achieved today. The bar keeps getting raised. Yeah, that's a good question. I read this,
1: this article from one of the partners of McKinsey a few weeks back on LinkedIn, and, and he, they were on to how the climate crisis, the nature crisis, doesn't really demand too much innovation. It demands scaling. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's, there is a lot to that, but that there's a lot of potentials in technology that we know materials that we know, waste streams that we can capture. The, the problem is really to to take it in and to scale it. And it's, you know, it's hard work. I think it's hard work. And then we need to make sure to have a fair bit of fun along the way. I think we demonstrate that it can also be very joyful and that joy can come out of of object, even objects that are primarily made from waste fractions. So I think we need to, we need to get the foundations, the bearings right. In industry at large, we need to do the maths be transparent about where, where the deficiencies lie, and then be systematic in, in how we approach that. And then I think you need to make it attractive. So there needs to be food for the left brain half, but they need, needs to be some food for the right brain half too. So that it, we, we need to demonstrate that we can solve this and we can create objects with very low footprint, with very high uh, levels of circular consumption. And still, objects that possess and convey a fair bit of the joy that went into creating them. Is this systematic approach more than anything that we that we need? And then, and this is a tough one: the the joy of bringing thing new things out to the market, just for the sake of it. It's a mechanism in in any competitive industry, and I think to to take a step back and not to refrain from just not just launching the next thing. But launching something new when you have something which is genuinely better and different from what's already out there. I think we can, all of these things are navigable, it's understandable, it's even available technologies and practices, but it's a bit of discipline that goes into into it. I think we demonstrate how this can be quite successful in in Flock and also be a strategy that can can grow and, and scale organically and with acquisitions
0: there's a lot of good points of that creative brief that design brief <laughs> as, uh, if we've got something really good to bring to the market let's uh, yeah. let's create it scale you're bringing up a great point that of the scaling we mm. often talk about the on this show the creativity of coming up with the ideas but the true innovation of bringing them out and mm. that is the challenge isn't it mm. that uh, there's lots of ideas we could read about a new creative scheme Mm. every day but uh, is it scalable and will it make impact
1: exactly the more i work in this field the more i try to grow wiser and uh, better at this the the more i return the view that there's really no shortcuts in at least in the industry there isn't that there seems to be a shortcut it's bound to get back at you someday (laughs) you just need to crack down on it and but but when you do if you have this Doberness. If you've assembled the right team, if you have the patience, the stamina to do it, if you manage to bring the joy uh, into it, you can also launch fewer products, but with really high hit rates and products that stand out in the marketplace for longer than they otherwise would. Yeah, um, So it can connect with sound
0: good business objectives, which are not conflicting thoughts. Not at all. My guest is Christian Ludgard. He's senior vice president of design at Flock. Furniture in Norway. Christian, this has been really great catching up with you again. As I mentioned, we met at this uh, conference and on this podcast, I often talk about traveling around the world virtually. Mm -hmm. Zoom has been a wonderful thing to keep us all connected, especially Mm -hmm. through the years when we couldn't uh, get out and travel much. But I tell you, there's often no replacement from being eye to eye. We shook Mm -hmm. hands, we talked, and it's great to reconnect. So I'm, I'm really encouraging people to get back out there and meet more people and meet and mingle and uh, travel, because I I also took a lot, as we've been talking about, from the culture, from the surroundings. And now that I can picture where you are and where you work, it also uh, brings a lot more of the creative light to that story. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Great. Thanks, Mark.
0: Uh, Thank you. And listeners, uh, come back again next time. We're going to continue our Around the World Travels. We're going to talk to people who are inspired with new ideas, who are organizing those ideas into actionable plans. And most of all, we're going to talk about making the connections and gaining the confidence to launch our work out into the world and make the kind of impact, especially in the areas of sustainability, make positive impact in the world. And that's what it's all about. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll be unlocking your world of creativity.
1: Unlocking Your World of
0: Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love.